0: You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encycledelia. Encycledelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the program on your Sunday afternoon, the 4th of August at 2pm. This is In Psychedelia and thank you to Freedom of Species who will be back from uh, next week from 1pm and if you missed something from uh, on Freedom of Species and you want to hear some more, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the Freedom of Species program page and from there you can find their podcast, their social media, their website and lots more information from the show. The same can be done with uh, most programs that you hear on 3CR, including our own, so please subscribe to ours while you're there. My name is Nick, and uh, In Psychedelia is a show about drugs and all the conversations that happen around drugs, and if you haven't been paying attention to the mainstream press, uh, uh, it's a big conversation at the moment. has been for a number of years now. It seems that... um, ongoing prohibition, increased uh, funding of international efforts to end the war on drugs and the United Nations having treaties for 50 years to stop the supposed scourge of drugs uh, hasn't worked and has actually made things a lot worse. Uh, uh, A... uh a uh, 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 harm maximizer, if you will uh, In the studio with me right now is
2: Ash Blackwell Ash, how are you going? A little bit sick, so excuse my croaky uh, voice today
1: uh, We also have uh, Gulliver McLean from SSDP uh, sitting in the studio Gulliver, how, you, how are you doing? I'm
3: good, I'm busy, but good, yeah
1: Busy? Good, good, glad to hear um, we won't have much time to talk, unfortunately, but we're <laughs> going to record some things with you, because that's, you know, we like to record things as well, because, uh, festival season is just about to begin. One of the, um, uh, there was a big party last night at, uh, at Margaret Court Arena. Uh, Margaret Court Arena in that, um, Melbourne Park precinct, uh, where they're, where they have special legislation left over from the Commonwealth, where, um... They don't need sniffer dogs to search people. From my understanding, I, I believe, uh, and yeah, luckily, we don't uh, hear the sorts of uh, outrageous things that happen in New South Wales. But still, some um, uh, searches happen with no warrant, no reason. They don't need a sniffer dog necessarily. That it was all brought in as part of the Commonwealth Games package to, you know, stop terrorists or whatever. But it's still here, and it's still used. And um yeah, I mean, that's the start of our festival season. I mean, that that's an indoor party. Of course, outdoor parties will start in the next couple of months as the, uh, as the weather heats up. We've got a bit more winter on the way at the moment. But um, on the program this afternoon, we're going to be talking uh, a lot about Prohibition, the state of Prohibition, where it's at, and alternatives to Prohibition as well. And one of those will be coming from... Greg Denham uh, from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Uh, Greg is a former police officer and uh, he's worked for many decades now in uh, drug law reform, having seen uh, from the inside how uh, drug policy was being handled by Victoria Police many decades ago now. Um uh, and Greg wants to see uh, change in that area. So uh, he's going to be talking to us and we're going to hear some little snippets about how the black market operates. And then a little bit about a recent example of how uh, a black market is formed by prohibition. Yeah, that's what's coming up.
2: So do we have, how long have we got for a little bit of news, Nick? One minute. Give us a One song. One minute. Okay. I mean, give us a, <laughs> a song <laughs> right, of right. news. So, all right, we'll, we'll scoot across a few things here. Um the international law enforcement thought that they'd shut down all the darknet markets. They hadn't. Uh, that is a ridiculous notion that you can somehow plug the internet. Um, <clears throat> we, I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago a plan to use drones above festivals to kind of snoop on people, you know, in the festival space, uh, catch them dealing drugs, that kind of thing. There has also been a proposal to use. Uh, thermal imaging cameras. Now, purportedly, this is for safety to spot people who's you know who have a particularly high body temperature and might be at risk of some health incident from um, MDMA use. A lot of concerns about that being misused. Um, the uh, media around the coronial inquest in New South Wales continues. Um, many more people calling for pill testing. Um, revelations that the New South Wales police uh, are, uh, have been instructed to use body cameras uh, in in some of the searches. Quite a few people concerned by that. There is an argument that that's for that that. That actually, accountability or yeah, something. Yeah, that's accountability. But yeah. given some of the things that we've heard about New South Wales police Lightning. in this inquiry, that, that's maybe... There's, there's not a lot of trust there, basically. Yeah, I, got, I got to say, that's what puts
1: me off going to certain venues, just the, the idea that I could be strip searched even if I know I have nothing on me because I might smell like weed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so there has also been some news on the vaping front this week. There is going to be a federal inquiry into vaping. Um, some criticism from the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association that for a uh, inquiry that has a funding of $750,000, the terms of reference haven't been released. Um, maybe that's all the time we've got or...
1: Well, we'll leap uh, more into news in the future. Um, social media is the place to find out more about all the news items that we talk about, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on our Twitter account also we uh, live tweet from events like conferences, seminars, things like that uh, with pictures and uh, quotes from those events. So uh, do follow us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash psychedelia, and on Facebook as well. Uh, to kick us off, it's um, Hugo the Poet uh, with a track from his latest album. Why I mean, exactly.
4: years old want to pick up a knife and just stab someone at random and have never met them before? Why would someone want to pick up a gun just because someone lives in a completely different postcode and be prepared to shoot it? Why would someone be prepared to kill a child on a school bus just because they're looking at them for ten seconds? And the fact of the matter is, there's not one answer to answer why young people arrive at that particular point. There's actually a series of factors.
5: This world is killing me never wanted me, once the rich but the poor, it's just a lost cause that haunts their memory if it wants nobility then this song's a guillotine decapitating all the white collar mobsters who caused this constant villainy what choice did i have when the voice in my head was a serpent whispering the wrong soliloquy in my dna tempting me away from civility when all i got in the block was corrupted imagery where the cops were enemy the dealers the government robbery center link and the squad the military what could I do except respond with mimicry? I thought I could run with the demons and my psychological monsters still agree. And I felt that any chance I may have had was lost officially. Almost psychotic from the drugs they given me to cure me from the drugs I did in the streets. I tried to see the light, but I was too lit. They said flee the fight, but I was too deep. They told me stand up straight, but I was on the lean. One last chance to reclaim responsibility I was brought from civil war In one nation and dropped in the slums of another Where the law was puny And breaking it just seemed to be another form of amusement I was lied to by music Given drugs to be dealt Got hooked when I took on myself to deal with the pain of my survivor's guilt. I was born, raised from the original people, indigenous, inheritor of 60,000 year continuous history, but a seed of the land's intelligence. Somewhere along the line, my blood was mixed with the colonists by sick rape, so I'm mixed race, rejected by society, and my community refuses to identify me. I'm white, angry, and been addicted to drugs since the maternity hospital. My brain never developed properly to overcome obstacles. School was impossible. I dealt drugs, got in fights, and learned how to jack cars, cook ice and give any enemies tomahawk axe scars Allahu Akbar God is great and protects us But in this land the dominant culture hates and rejects us So we stick together and plot steadily carving out a plot Money, power, influence we get in a lot And when older men tell you to take the time for a crime that they drop, You don't hesitate, you confess on the spot When I first heard hip-hop, finally that itch That could never be scratched, was soothed by the mix The pitch, the lyrics, the bass, the beats All reflected my sitch The words give me power and steadily teach me That I'm at least better than than any woman so I get to call her a bitch if the trauma of my child abuse means I'm never confiding in use the ones I should have been able to trust are the very ones who tied up my noose so fuck trust I'll never trust trust or anyone who believes it exists and I'll sabotage all relationships to prove that everyone's a piece of shit I tried to see the light but I was too lit they said flee the fight but I was too deep they told me stand up straight but I was on the lean one last chance to reclaim responsibility Witnessing all these stories and many others I see the reckless squandering of talent and the ceaseless plunder Of a sector of a generation set up to give up like, fuck it And be locked away together to drag each other down like crabs in a bucket If there's a slim chance that mastery of words can set them free and set them on a path to greater confidence in their ability And maybe make them see how they can claim responsibility take on responsibility, then this is my responsibility. Responsibility for self-study developing an awareness of one's connection to everything and the duties that are inherent in this life we're given to our family, our community, this land we live on. To parlay the strength and the skills and the quick thinking, the improvisation the speed and the instinctive abilities attained into a force for the greater good of a society that needs them to not fight with them or ignore them but form some alliances and give them a vision of the future more appealing than constant villainy and modest ability and, model stability, and never forget that the lost among us are still our responsibility I tried to see the light but I was too lit they said free the fight but I was too deep they told
4: me stand up straight but I was on the lean one last chance to reclaim responsibility dysfunctional families father absence racism poor identities dysfunctional homes but one thing that really sticks out for me when I'm analyzing this type of thing is this one word about invisibility. Invisible. What I find in my work is that most young people in our society are invisible, unseen, unheard. I'm sure you've heard the saying before. It takes a village to raise a child. And there's also another saying in that same school of thought that if young people don't feel a part of that village, they will burn it down to feel its warmth. I'll say it one more time. If young people feel they are not part of our village, they will burn it down to feel its warmth.
1: This is In Psychedelia on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name is Nick and sitting across from me now is Greg Denham from LEAP which used to be called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, but has recently gone through a, uh, a name change and, and an update of
6: their focus. Uh, so, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself and about LEAP. Uh, sure. Look, I um, was a member of Victoria Police for a long time. I reached the rank of senior sergeant. Also spent some time with the Queensland Police where I was a sergeant. And I've been involved with drug policy issues for over 25 years. So I've worked a lot with law enforcement, both locally and internationally, around drug policy. And uh, LEAP was an organisation that was started in the United States about 15 years ago. And it was a group of police who decided that the war on drugs had failed that they were going to start, I guess, advocating for uh, new approaches, which included legalising all drugs. So they were called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition to start off with, and a guy called Jack Cole, who was a former undercover cop in Seattle, said, look, this isn't working. He started to speak to a few people who also said, yeah, it's not working. So police started to say, well, I think you're right. You know, this isn't, you know, getting the results that we should be getting. You know, more people are using drugs, more people are in prisons, you know, pretty much it's failed given the amount of money that was being put into um, you know, uh, drug law enforcement and the prisons and courts. So um, about four or five years ago, LEAP in the United States started to expand and they started to, to call themselves Law Enforcement um, Action Partnerships. So it was a bit of a name change. And they, they changed their name because they recognised that despite the good work that they had been doing in the United States, they needed to form partnerships so a number of different organisations called LEAP started to pop up in the UK, in Belgium um, and in Australia. Uh, LEAP had, had been sort of under the radar for, for a little while and I decided then that I would sort of look into it and I started to speak to people like uh, Neil Franklin who's the um, head of LEAP in the United States and Neil Woods who's head of LEAP in the UK and they said, look, yeah, sure, we'd love to have an Australian you know, um, arm of LEAP So over the last uh, couple of years, I've been speaking as a LEAP speaker and I've noticed that quite a few people are interested in getting involved with LEAP. A lot of um, organisations here want to hear the police perspective, particularly hearing an alternative police perspective. So I've spoken a lot with police about drug law reform and unfortunately a lot of police aren't able to speak about drug law reform because they're held by government policy. So they can't speak out against government policy. But I know from my experience that a lot of police here really want to see change. They're, they're, they know that what we're doing at the moment isn't working. Uh, it's it's leading to corruption. It's leading to really bad relationships with the community. We've got more and more people being put in jail here. We've got thousands of people with criminal convictions because of drug use. And really, the money that we you know, are putting into law enforcement, courts and prisons could be better spent in terms of health, welfare and social policies. So LEAP here has really started to kick off and I've just started a website called um, leapaustralia.net.au that is up and running now and you can contact LEAP here through the website. You can become a supporter, you can sign up, it's all confidential. You can contact me through email through that LEAP website. And overall, you know, this is an opportunity for police and others out there who say the war on drugs has failed to get involved through me, through my law enforcement background, and really advocate strongly for drug law reform. There are different models of policies out there. You've got uh, decriminalisation, which has been very successful in Portugal, um, and we're just starting to move down the legalisation um, approach, particularly in Canada where they've legalised cannabis, and I think there's two or three other countries in the world where Cannabis is now legal. Our proposal is, is that all drugs be legalised um, and they be regulated and controlled in terms of their availability. And there's lots of good models which have been proposed by Transform and others in the UK. Basically, what we're saying is just look at the drug, look at the potential risk of the drug and regulate and control its availability. Because it's far better to get regulated and controlled availability rather than you know, people going to the street or to someone who's selling it but there's no controls, there's no regulations, there's no quality um, control about that particular drug. So obviously with some drugs you'd need to have tight controls and that may be people who want to use um, methamphetamine, for example. Um, So you would need to get probably a a medical check, a health check or some kind of interview process Uh, and then you would have to have a permit or authority to purchase a small amount um, each week um heroin prescribing you look at the, look at places like um Amsterdam and Switzerland and other parts of Europe where they've prescribed heroin over a long period of time if you have a heroin dependency then why not be able to prescribe it to that person you know why not be able to you know say to that person okay you've got a heroin dependency rather than go to the black market and many people do also um you know we recognize that people who do use heroin do use it for self-medication purposes Let's, let's say to that person, okay, we'll prescribe heroin to you. You, know, you will then become part of, a, I guess, a, a health or, or welfare or you know, some kind of medical approach towards um, obtaining that drug. And let's try to work out why you've become heroin-dependent in the first place. And where people do um, get heroin prescribed, it stabilizes their life. <clears throat> you know, they get employment, their relationships, Bloodborne viruses, they cut down and almost eliminate injecting drug use. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits to prescribing heroin. So we would look at each individual drug. We look at, okay, what's the driver for that use? Reminding ourselves too that a lot of people use drugs because they actually enjoy using drugs. They, they, they experience, you know, um, pleasure from drug use. So drugs like cannabis, um, ecstasy, they'd be available in terms of less Probably regulations, so you'd be able to go to, you know, maybe a pharmacist, buy it over the counter, a bit like Schedule Three drugs now. You know, you sign for it. You know, your your um, uh, drug that you've just purchased over the counter would be recorded against your name, so you wouldn't get oversupply in that particular situation. So, you know, all of these systems are already up and running. What we need to do is we need to look at ways in which we can produce those drugs, <laughs> produce them tax them, make them regulated and controlled availability and then we would eliminate the black market, we would eliminate the corruption and we would put that money that we get from taxation into health, welfare and and social uh, programs.
1: Earlier this year, I attended the Don't Kill Live music rally at Sydney's Hyde Park, part of an ongoing campaign to hit back at the Berejiklian government's crackdown on music festivals as part of a a wider culture war and uh, extreme use of policing to try and stop drug use, uh, from policing sniffer dogs at train stations uh, to uh, strip searches where uh, people are being filmed now by police as they are being being strip searched as part of our, uh, what's meant to be a normal process uh, uh, at the Don't Kill Live music rally I caught up with Will Tregoning from Unharm
7: yeah that has been an, a key part of it and it's been the reason why a lot of the really oppressive regulations have come in for festivals that was most of the most, not all, but definitely most of the reason why I think, um, you know, the for example, the policing ratios at festivals are there in order to run huge operations at the entrances. That's where the majority of the costs are coming from. A lot of the promoters have pointed out, just like for example, in the in the um, meeting that was held at Parliament House um, just a few days ago, that the police that come to their festivals are predominantly operating at the entrance to the venue. It's just to create that incredible kind of, um, you know, array of, uh, yeah, intimidating police at at the entrance to the event. And, yeah, so it's a frustration about that, both in terms of what that means for the festivals, but then definitely um, in terms of what it means for patrons and the both for the experience and then, of course, for the, the risk that comes from being frightened in an environment where um, you may be taking drugs legal or illegal.
1: Can you talk to us a little bit about the role that law enforcement might have in under such a model uh, considering law enforcement... Uh, it receives the vast sum of money uh, for our harm minimization programs co- uh, currently, which is millions and millions of dollars. Presumably, this is going to be a, a difficult path for law enforcement to take if their role is not a strong one. How, how does law enforcement look uh, in, a,
6: in a future legalised model? Well, it's not much different to what we see with alcohol. You know, with, with alcohol, um, you know, we, we know that the three major issues with alcohol. Um, uh, pricing, availability and marketing. So that aspect would be controlled by the government in terms of illicit drugs. So the role for police would, in, would be to ensure that no further harm came from the availability of those drugs. So so people who are experiencing difficulties and people will still experience difficulties with their drug use um, and they may come to harm. So it will be the police role to focus on how they can provide a safer environment a safer setting for people when they use those drugs. So So you know, we wouldn't need drug dogs. You know, we wouldn't need to have police in that situation where you know they have to use heavy-handed tactics to stop people using drugs. Um, so the police uh, role will be very much about welfare, health, uh, and safety. So ensuring that people who use drugs um, don't come to harm. Of course, there may be people who will try to maybe sell a, a different drug on the black market, etc. I doubt that there will be a lot of those because the way in which the drugs will be priced, they will be priced through a regulated market below what what is available on the black market. So, you know, there will always be a bit of a black market, but, you know, if you look at alcohol, for example, there's not a whole lot of alcohol sold on the black market. So if you can envisage or picture the way in which the alcohol market is regulated and controlled, that's similar to what, um, you know, would happen with illicit drugs, and the police role will be very, very similar to that.
1: Law Enforcement Action Partnerships, Greg Denham talking to us about what LEAP might propose as a alternative to the current state of prohibition we recently caught up with Dr John Jiggins, author of Marijuana Australiana which tracks the progress of prohibition of cannabis in Australia and also author of many papers looking at the size and scale of the black market in Australia and uh, John really highlights uh the effect that prohibition has had on the market for illicit substances and it's not the effect surprise surprise that politicians promise us that it will be which is improving community amenity improving community health and lowering overall use of drugs
3: well according to the um Recent wastewater report where they try and sort of estimate the size of the um, oh the amphetamine market in Australia, they put it at nine billion dollars and they uh, say it's nine point six tons. I personally think they're underestimating because um, in recent years they've seized that amount of um, of. Uh, Amphetamines. They've actually you know see something like 9.6 tonnes in uh, 2015-16 and 7 point something tonnes in 2016-17 and they're the most recent figures. So um, I think it's a bit of an underestimation. But that's why when I say that the market is probably 10 times what we spend on drug law enforcement, which is 2.6, so the market's $26 billion. Nine billion of that is just um, what they say is the methamphetamine or the amphetamine market, which I think is a bit of an underestimation anyway. So it is, um, you know, pretty much what that is. And as a consequence of that, it creates a whole industry for people um, in methamphetamines because it isn't just the you know manufacturers and the wholesalers; it's the sort of street level dealers are getting this sort of incredibly uh, lucrative price so it can actually pay them to sort of wander around Australia, going to sort of festivals and um, going to sort of concerts and things and just, um, you know, selling their wares. Like the incredible price of ice in Australia has created this huge industry which um, sort of... um, encourages the market or, or you know puts the market there you know so it's that's why prohibition is so self-defeating in fact it it, it is uh, you know uh, it's an incentive for the industry it's a multiplier for the industry um,
1: th- I've been reading a little bit about um, some of the uh, arrest rates around uh, around a, n- a number of drugs and uh, and what you say um, is, is an important factor to for especially for uh, policymakers that are relying on the police to, to break apart these markets, to consider that the people that they're catching are people that might be earning uh, quite a fair whack. But in terms of the size of the market, it's it's small fish and the people that understand this set up the market to work in this way so that uh, even if there is a huge
3: seizure, how much of a dent does it really make in overall supply? Well, if you look at the paper and if you look at the wonderful stories about how successful they're being... I think there was a seizure of one point six tons of ice in Melbourne in June, which the police valued at one point three billion dollars. Now, as I said, it would probably cost only you know a few million to manufacture that it's the rest of it is just profit for them um, so yes, that's how big it is. The police are claiming to have taken one point three billion dollars of ice. Off the market and the media say they're doing really well and these are major major blows and the dealers in death are gonna you know all the cliches they come out with which are essentially lies once you make things illegal you get criminals entering it into the market once there are criminals involved, you get the police corrupted and it then gets taken over by organized crime and that's what my PhD thesis is about, well, it sort of, you know, traces the history of how um, it, you know, organised crime takes over the drug scene.
1: We know that uh, public sentiment is changing towards drug policy, especially cannabis, but towards other drugs as well. Uh, But what, what else can people do other than have conversations with those around them and uh, maybe read the odd article, what else can people do if they want to see change in this area?
6: Well, I think they uh, need to be very active. You know, conversations are important, but what we would like to see is more sort of push around the political side of things, so become far more active politically. So we need to get into the political realm. We need to um, ensure that politicians um, know that we're out there, which means that, you know, we may have to run... Know, a party which supports um, drug law reform, drug legalization. we need to write to politicians. you know we need to advocate quite strongly through the media, mainstream media, social media um, about you know the need for drug policy reform. we need to get um, you know people who uh, I guess know this issue really well onto mainstream media to television to be interviewed. you know we need to also f- listen to people who um, know, don't necessarily agree with what, um, you know, we're talking about and, and engage them. So often we just speak to the converted. So, um, so and there are also events during the year such as, um, you know, Support Don't Punish, which is coming up soon. And uh, I'd like to now announce that this year we're going to launch uh, LEAP at Support Don't Punish. So, um, you know, this generates interest, it generates conversation. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there, I believe, that say, you know what, I think what we're doing with drug policies and working, but they often need to be a bit more vocal around that and, and giving people the confidence to say, you know, I want to have that conversation with that person that counts, that person that can actually have some impact. We need to get some notorieties involved too, some people who, you know, through the d- judiciary, former police um, and others who um, politicians and others will listen to. And you mentioned uh,
1: Law Enforcement Action Partnership will be uh, launching. You also have a new website, uh, Tell us about
6: it. Your well, website. leap, L-E-A-P, um, a u is our website. It's just, um, I guess, hit the airways if the, if you can uh, sort of use that term. It's um, something which I've been working on for probably the best part of a year or so. Um, and I've managed to find some funding and part of my own funding, which has been helpful. And uh, basically, the LEAP, the leap website um, goes through the, the rationale for why we've set up LEAP. So it's very similar to what they've done in the United States and, and the UK and Belgium and other countries. It talks about how prohibition has failed. It talks about how, you know, the war on drugs was started by Richard Nixon in the early seventies. And um, it gives people an opportunity to read the material and have a think about, you know, why we need to have a regulated and controlled environment. And we also enable people to contact us through, you know, becoming a supporter. They can sign up through the LEAP website or just contact me and, and, and I can, you know, engage with them, can write back to them. I, I'm also available available for public speaking. I'm happy to talk about this, you know, if you've got a alliance Club or you've got a major event or you've got, you know, a community meeting, um, I'm available to speak and I do give a little bit of a different perspective because of my policing background. Thank you very much for joining us on
1: 3CRs in Psychedelia today. Thanks for
4: And when that fire burns out, how do you reignite it again? that's what I did. And if I can do it, you can do it. Sometimes we as members of society, we only respond to the symptoms, but we don't ever look at the root causes of what causes individual to become what they are. So sometimes we need to go back to issue to find out, well, what is the root? What are the key things in society that is causing things or causing people to behave in a range of different ways?
3: Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. 12pm on Saturdays, here on 3CR, 855 and AM dog podcast, streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. And
1: Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. You just heard from uh, Greg Denham. Uh, And also Will Tregoning from Unharm and Dr. John Jiggins, uh, Greg Denham from Law Enforcement Action Partnerships. Uh, And that will also be up as a video in the coming weeks um, as we upload things on both YouTube and Facebook and also follow... Law Enforcement Action Partnership on uh, Facebook and other social media too. Uh, Now, I've got um, something that I uh, recorded and presented up at the uh, Nimbin Mardi Gras Symposium in May earlier this year, which I think it's about the synthetic drug craze of the past decade or, um, I mean, look, there's been a few other legal highs Um, What are some other words you can think of, Ash, that have been thrown out for these things? Synthetic cannabis is one particular kind. Basically, just throwing the word synthetic in front of any drug that's already known, uh, whether or not that drug was already a synthetic drug, uh, just to scare people with this, you know.
2: So, the the academic term is novel psychoactive substances. That's how they're generally recorded in the literature and the drug monitoring agencies.
1: The interesting thing and the thing that I talked about at the... uh, uh, at the Mardi Gras Symposium, is that um, you can see the progress of prohibition through the way that the government dealt with uh, what 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 were what what are uh, legitimate businesses selling these um, these products. Uh, they were selling them. There was uh, uh, there was no law against them doing that in the first place, and it was about government playing catch up. And how did they do that? Did they look at any other options or did they just go straight for prohibition? You know the answer, but I'm going to talk about it here. This was recorded at the Nimbin Mardi Gras Symposium in May this year. It's all part of prohibition. So it starts with the start of this prohibition process that we see this assumption that certain substances, certain plants, certain synthesized chemicals, that when you take them and they give you an effect, that they must be banned, except for all the ones that that aren't banned. Cigarettes, alcohol, caffeine, sugar to an extent... And, and you know we've got a whole regulatory system with uh, with substances and all sorts of different categorizations it's not really quite clear why they sit in those not not sci- not from a scientific perspective why they sit in the categories that they do so in 1984 a, a uh, organic chemist called John W Huffman uh, was working to uh, to explore the endocannabinoid system. And to do that, he synthesized a number of um, cannabinoids based on the THC molecule. uh, And over 20 years, ended up um, synthesizing over 400 new uh, chemicals, some of them completely new, not something that you find naturally. Um, All of them uh, agonists, uh, so they bind to the cannabinoid receptors in people's brains. And, And this was in search of... Um, trying to isolate the medicinal effects of the cannabinoids in cannabis. So that's, I I won't go into the medical cannabis story, there's plenty of people at this event this weekend that you can speak to about that, but those synthesised chemicals were trying to isolate things so they could detect very specific uh, changes in the endocannabinoid system. So that's where this all started. But where it sort of takes off is in the late 2000s, uh, so, in the late 2000s, two brands came out of uh, Germany K2 and spice, uh, and they were sold in head shops in Germany and online across the world so both K2 and spice were um, products that they, they sort of um, they understood the way that prohibition works across the globe is uh, we 've got schedules we 've got lists of chemicals in those schedules, and those are the banned drugs right that 's how it works but People still want to get high, and guess what? There's a whole bunch of things outside of those schedules that get people high. And one of the things about these synthesized uh, cannabinoids is that some of them do get people high. Uh, some of them also have terrifying effects, and some of them do nothing. So it's it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. Uh, so they were being sold um, out of Germany in the late 2000s. They were called the JWH series. That's the John W. Huffman series, and they were sort of um, I'm going to break this up into different categorization or well, categorizations uh, different um, uh, generations of these substances because we're up for about five or something now so this is generation one um, and they got these uh, these chemicals um, not sure where they were being manufactured when it was in Germany but largely uh, they, a lot of them have been manufactured in China and India uh, and got a whole bunch of damiana and sprayed these uh, these these jwh chemicals onto the damiana and packaged it and sold it as legal highs this is where a lot of that legal high stuff came from in terms of the uh, uh the ones that were said to be mimicking cannabis so these um these brands started turning up in australia um about a year or two later and started to gain popularity in populations of uh, of people who were subjected to regular drug testing and this is um Another issue that is uh, interesting to touch on the spread of uh, drug testing in workplaces, especially workplaces where uh, people people aren't operating heavy machinery. they might be sitting in front of a desk all day and you sort of wonder why are we why are we drug testing these people but there's a few companies that are are really pushing uh, for this as some kind of public health idea so and again, the same thing can happen then uh, with what happens with roadside drug testing you can. Uh, your employer then can find out that you have been taking a drug at some point three days earlier it doesn't really matter not necessarily impaired that's not what they're detecting and then put you through disciplinary action that's exactly what was happening in the mining industry so that's why people in the mining industry especially in Queensland WA where um people are largely fly in fly out it's quite um stressful work for a lot of people very intensive periods of work earn a lot of money and then have a whole bunch of time off so people uh, like drugs so they liked to take drugs and then they found that some drugs were not good to take because it got them in trouble at work so they moved on to some of these synthetic chemicals k2 spice and a whole plethora of other brands that started popping up so in uh, in 2011 i think it was um in in western australia there's a uh, a forensic lab called chem center it's the only forensic lab in this country that is uh, Uh, like a a government authority that's legislated uh, to provide forensic analysis for the WA government and they uh, created a list of these chemicals which largely the JWH the John Huffman uh, cannabinoids Uh, and and those were the ones that were in the products and they said we need to develop tests one we need to develop tests so we can do tests, uh, workplace testing, and detect these. And two, um, we need to recommend to the government that they ban these. And this is a process that I want to talk about, because it sort of started off a process that we've seen unfold. Uh, it's largely stopped now, because they found the end, which is a stupid end. We're going to reach there in a sec. Um, but it started this sort of cat and mouse process. So. Here's a whole bunch more chemicals that have just been added to this list. We've got, however, many 250 chemicals on the uh, on the schedule. It's different per state. Uh, 250 chemicals, and we're going to legislate to add these new chemicals and uh, and ban them. So, uh, I guess I'll, I'll take a step back for a moment because I need to introduce a, another concept, and that's. Uh, It it wasn't just the list. That's how it started, it was just the list. But in the 1990s, or in the late 80s in the US, but in the 1990s in Australia, uh, there was an introduction of new legislation to cover um, what was seen as a hole in the prohibition legislation. Uh, Because before the cannabinoids in the late 2000s, there were uh, the phenethylamines, the the 2C substances, uh, and and a couple of other uh, obscure substances, uh, that were sort of coming on to market, being experimented with um, a little bit. And uh, the authorities wanted a way to ban these, but didn't want to have to keep adding them to the list. So they made the analog laws in the in the 1990s. So the, the analog laws uh, set out a whole bunch of um, chemical explanations as to, you know, if, if you attach something on a ring here, or you do something to the structure there, then it's still considered a prohibited drug. Uh, and then the other part of it was, uh, if something is uh, stru- uh, structurally similar or pharmacologically similar to a current prohibited drug, then it should also be a drug. So that was sort of the part at uh, the time, at which it, it, it's starting to extend beyond where looking at a at a chemical or at a plant. There's sort of this idea that I think people still think this as well. Uh, maybe not you guys in this room, but ask your friends, ask your family that there's like records on every single drug that's prohibited that proves how dangerous it is. And it's, that just doesn't exist. There's no, no such thing as that. And they've moved further away from even the sort of semblance of that idea as they've pursued this prohibition agenda. So is there a cr- criteria for, um, for the potential for harm in there? Well, just because something is structurally similar or, uh, or pharmacologically similar to a currently prohibited drug doesn't say whether or not it's dangerous. And if it were to say that, does that mean that all the currently prohibited substances are all correctly scheduled as well? And we know for a fact that they're not. So we've got ourselves into a bit of a nonsense loop here. So in 2013, the, uh, the initial ban set off a bit of a moral panic. And that was beautifully articulated by uh, Dr. Stephen Bright, B. Bishop, D. Arcane, A. Marsh, and Monica Barrett in a piece called Chronic Hysteria, exploring the intersection between Australian synthetic cannabis legislation, the media, and drug-related harm. And I just want to um, read uh, what they said, because it is a, uh, this is essentially outlining what's happened, what this process is, and you'll see it now once once I've read this. And I highly recommend going and reading the whole whole thing. It's not very long, uh, and it's a good read. So, the uh, abstract background. Having first appeared in Europe, synthetic cannabis emerged as a drug of concern in Australia during 2011. Chronic is the most well-known brand of synthetic cannabis in Australia and received significant media attention. Policy responses were reactive and piecemeal between state and federal governments. In, this, uh, and in the paper, they go through the, yeah, m- and methods. So, they uh, used uh, Google search engine uh, applications uh, to produce time-trend graphs detailing the volume of media stories being published online about synthetic cannabis and chronic, and then uh, the amount of traffic searching for those terms. Also a discursive analysis uh, conducted on those media reports uh, identified by Google as key stories. Uh, Timing of related media stories was also compared with self-reported awareness and month of first use of these substances. And what they found between April and June 2011, mentions of chronic in the media increased. The number of media stories published online connected strongly with Google searches for the term chronic. These stories were necessarily flamed within dominant discourses that served to construct synthetic cannabis as pathogenic, as a disease, and created a moral panic. Australian state and federal governments reacted to this moral panic by banning individual synthetic cannabinoid agonists. Manufacturers subsequently released new synthetic blends that they claimed contained new unscheduled chemicals and the conclusion was that policies implemented within the context of moral panic while well intentioned can result in increased awareness of the banned product and the use of new yet to be scheduled drugs with unknown potential for harm consideration of regulatory models should be based on careful examination of the likely intended and unintended consequences Uh, so that was what they said this was in 2011 at the start of all of this governments didn't really listen to that um i was uh, at the time in contact with MPs across the country trying to make this point that you can't just continue to, to pursue prohibition. You're going to make it worse. You, you, are, you are already making it worse. This, it doesn't work the way that you think it's going to work. And they don't care. They're just going to keep doing that because they're stuck in this prohibition loop. So we sort of have to ask... Oh, no. Sorry. that's my spot. Uh, so that's the... Um, yeah, process of prohibition, not, in a very, not a very effective public health response because what we are seeing here is there's no analysis of what the drive behind this market is, the desire to get high. There's no discussion at that level about why people might want to do these things. There's an assumption that people who want to alter themselves in ways that are not already legal must be somehow harmful but there's no discourse of proof of this that goes on uh, with the government. It's just sort of assumed. So this this keeps happening. And then the new drugs get, so what happens is uh you get a bunch of drugs banned, government pays attention to them, media puts them out there, a bunch of people go, I don't care if it's going to fuck me, I want to get fucked up, and they look it up, they go find it, they order the new one, suddenly a new lot of chemicals come on, another moral panic, so on and so forth. This happened for years. So in Victoria, I don't know the number in New South Wales, but in Victoria, over I think a four-year period, there were about... 10 amendments to the Drugs, Poisons, and Controlled Substances Act, each of them adding new lists of chemicals, uh, also doing curious things like, uh, in that time, uh, Victoria managed to ban uh, books uh, that contained instruction on how to manufacture and cultivate illicit substances. So their whole reasoning at the time was, oh, we're stopping ice dealers, but if you um, just walk next door... Uh, A lot of the books that are in there would be considered paraphernalia in Victoria, and not a a lot of people are are aware of this, and I'm not aware of it being enforced, but these were the sorts of things that were snuck through uh, alongside this synthetic panic that was going on. Uh, And people want to get high. I mean, that's what it it sort of comes back to in the end. People, People want to get high for a number of reasons, whether it's for fun, for therapy, for social reasons, for pain. For spiritual reasons, etc., everybody's got their own reason and story behind it, and it's uh, it's easily trivialised by those who don't un- understand or don't care to inquire, um, but not so trivial for those that uh, enjoy that experience. Um, I'll touch on it. Okay, so there was there was one country that tried a um, alternative approach. Uh, and that was New Zealand uh, in 2013. You might have heard about this, but in 2013 they passed the uh, Psychoactive Substances Act, um, and the Psychoactive Substances Act was an act that would legalise and regulate a series of uh, psychoactive chemicals. Uh, unfortunately, when they introduced that legislation, they missed the mark and they uh, said that all the ones that are already scheduled, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to include those ones. So they kind of... That, that was That's part of the problem. You have to have one kind of approach. You can't just go, oh, we'll, we'll stick with the historical inaccuracy, but we'll do a new thing for all these obscure chemicals. And so it upset people. For about six months, they had a legal uh, synthetic legal highs industry. Um, and then it all got shut down, and it's still sort of sitting there. You can actually go and find the New Zealand government's um, Ministry of Psychoactive Substances, (laughs) uh, if you look up uh, Ministry of Psychoactive Substances with New Zealand. Uh, It's still sitting there, not sure how much money is going into it, doing nothing, Uh, and in the meantime, uh, the synthetics have not gone away. Uh, They've moved onto the... streets, I guess, they've moved into the hands of, black, of the black market and however that black market goes and distributes those chemicals. So what, what they did was they defined psychoactive substance as something that stimulates or depresses uh, a person's central nervous system, resulting in hallucinations or in a significant disturbance in or significant change to motor function, thinking, behaviour, perception, awareness or mood, which is pretty broad, or causing a state of dependence, uh, including physiological or psychological addiction, and they said that any any uh, plant material, any substance, any anything that uh, does this to you uh, is a psychoactive substance and regulated by our Act. Um, what that ended up doing is being sort of a almost like a Trojan horse. I don't think this was intentional in New Zealand, but it was almost like a a Trojan horse because what it did was it negated the need for the New Zealand government to have to keep rescheduling chemicals. They were doing a similar thing to what Australia was doing, adding things to this schedule all the time. Suddenly, if you've got a definition that's so broad that all psychoactive substances are just automatically... Scheduled on one thing, you can do one thing with them, maybe say we'll we'll regulate some of them, or, and this is the way that things happen, we'll prohibit a whole bunch of them. Then you don't need to add things to this schedule anymore. The schedule's redundant. Anything that's psychoactive is now illegal. So this is what uh, happened in New Zealand and in Australia uh, after a series of introductions and cycles of moral panic and new bill that updates the old bill and blah 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 they just went okay and they've done this in new south wales victoria all across australia now Um, we're just going to flat ban psychoactive substances so and I gave you that definition, that's all it is. That's If something meets that definition, which hasn't really been tested in court because it's going to be a very expensive journey for whoever decides to test that in court, but it's scared enough people off that it's not an area that there's a lot of movement on anymore. But now there's this idea that if something is a psychoactive substance that it needs to be banned automatically. There's no testing for whether or not it's harmful or anything like that. So I guess the, the reason this is relevant here this weekend is because this is the process of prohibition. This is the, the, the sort of loopy thing that we've got ourselves in um, with prohibition, and it's so easy for so many of us to uh, um, to see. I mean, see the reports about synthetics, for example, and maybe some of you have, have had this feeling before when you've seen reports about synthetics and look at how awful it is and go, "Wow, well, they should just be able to get cannabis." Well, we should ban that synthetic. That's bad. But what we're doing then is being complicit in the prohibition process and it's the process that's the problem because the politicians have no way out of it. They're just following this process endlessly because there is no other option. There is no discussion of what's a different approach here. And there's no discussion, I mean there's a little bit of discussion now around cannabis legalisation but it's still a very difficult discussion and it's marred by all sorts of other (laughs) discussions that go on. So a couple of messages, I guess, is that uncritical reporting in the media seeds demand despite media being required to not promote drug use as desirable. And uh, that's something that's in most uh, media organisations' charter. It's uh, legislated that it has to be under the Broadcasting Services Act, so uh, they have to make sure not to promote drug use as desirable. What does that mean? Well, I actually was just in contact with a uh, young budding journalist from SIN in Melbourne's Student Youth Network, it's a under-25s radio station, uh, to talk... Um, oh, sorry, I, I also do a, a thing called the Yarra Drug Health Forum down in, uh, in Melbourne, um, which is a, a discussion platform for community uh, in the city of Yarra. Um, and I said, hey, we've got an event coming up, um, do you want to uh, promote it a little bit? And they said, oh, no, we can't, we can't promote drug use. And this is a young budding journalist who's already got this message that even to discuss a community meeting. This community meeting, by the way, is one of the communities that helped to get up the Medically Supervised Injecting Center in Melbourne, uh, among other projects. It's not not a a, a forum where people are promoting drug use. It's mostly people from the alcohol and other drug sector that turn up. But this journalist, their impression, the young journalist, uh, their impression was that to even promote that would be promoting drug use as desirable. And this means that every time there is drug reporting, that drug reporting is always going to be slanted towards, oh, look at how dangerous it is, and look at how bad it is, and they can't say anything else. They're scared to say anything else, because they think it will breach their rights and obligations. And this whole process prompts the politicians to respond and they're stuck in this policy loop of, you know, can't quite think outside of the, uh, well, I mean, we've got mind-altering substances, we'd better prohibit them. There's never any question of, well, is that mind-altering substance also going to harm somebody significantly? Do we have a level of harm or risk that's acceptable? Are people allowed to take their own risks with their own bodies? Well, I mean, we don't have answers to these questions. So, and every time the rhetoric that the politicians use is the same to, to promote these laws, and it's been the same since the 1920s, especially since the 1970s when it ramped up. Um, and that's this idea that if we introduce harsher penalties and if we increase the scope of prohibition, that will make drugs go away, that will reduce drug harm, that will reduce the number of drugs. And it's not been the case at all. Uh, what, what's happened is we've seen more new obscure drugs come out than ever before. And just um, just touching. Back on the synthetics I didn't I didn't I know it's a bit of an obscure topic um, but one of the th- one of the things about a lot of these synthetic substances is that we don't know whether or not they're going to be dangerous or not and that's the problem I think some people assume it's going to be dangerous because we don't know but the answer is that we don't know what's going to happen There hasn't been any research especially on the new series of chemicals the earlier series as I said were developed by an organic chemist who was looking at um, at uh, cannabinoids uh, to research the endocannabinoid system. The latest lot are developed by people that have access to that like CAD molecule program who can come up with a new molecule that looks like it'll fit the receptor, send it to a lab in China, and for a couple of hundred dollars you've got a new brand new drug in the mail. This, this is the process that's happening now. It's that easy. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just about. Finished. I can't can't really think of anything else to leave you on other than we're at this point now where uh, merely the idea of a substance being psychoactive means that it is illegal and and there's no sort of question of that. And if we are going to move towards legalization of cannabis, of MDMA, of anything, we need to be asking that question of what what's the criteria what. How do we develop a framework where there, there is a criteria of what can be accepted and what can't? Because we can't go and create a whole bunch of new just legs off... Because at the moment, alcohol and tobacco are legislated because they've got their own legislation. They don't even sit in the in the Drugs Act. They're not considered drugs by the, by the Drugs Act. I mean, nicotine in certain quantities is, and that's another obscure story. But it's, it's all over the place. We need to come up with a... Uh, a, a, a a general set of criteria so that we can approach this uh, with a little bit more consistency a little bit more rigor uh, and a little bit more uh, care for what people want which is some, sometimes to get high and to remain healthy and safe <laughs> generally thanks,
5: thanks, so yeah. much. thanks.
1: And that was um, myself at the Nimbin Mardi Gras uh, Hemposium earlier this year. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. Ash, what have you got for us?
3: Is I can't get prescribed medicinal mm, cannabis. Yeah. I
6: started to get angry. So I hit the road. I need to learn more. Most doctors
1: won't do that.
6: Australia is a perfect example of a dysfunctional medical
5: system. $47,600 a year. My oncologist,
2: he said no. This is from the uh, trailer for a Australian movie called High as Mike. It's a documentary that's doing a screening tour around Australia right now. And it's about the problems of access to medical cannabis, something that we've spoken about on the show regularly. Um, a lot of people that want access to medical cannabis can't get it, um, and that will be screening all around Australia. If you want to look at your any local screenings, just uh, search High Mike on Facebook or on you know the Googles.
1: Uh, and they did a premiere at the Nimbin uh, Mardi Gras Festival as well, uh, and um, I didn't, I haven't actually had a chance to see it yet. But next weekend you're going to see it. Cash.
2: Uh, well, I was going to, but unfortunately that screening has been canceled due to a lack of ticket sales. You found that out within the past five minutes. I I? I did find that out (laughs) just, just before we came back on air. Uh, right now. Okay.
1: Well, um, do, do go and find (coughs) out about it. It has a lot. The whole cannabis community is going, Whoa, go and see this movie. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure that it is very interesting. Please check it out. This has been in psychedelia on your Sunday afternoon. Find out more from us on our social media and website and Uh, You can find events and stuff there. And Queering the Air is up next. (laughs) See you later. This
0: is in Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Enpsychedelia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Enpsychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm This has been a Sunday.
2: 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.